you're listening to Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is for the doers, dreamers, and makers of the world. For anyone who wishes they had more time and freedom to play, who struggles with creative blocks, or who's trying to figure out how to make a living while making art, I'm here to stumble through the madness by your side. Once you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It will really help me out. You can also join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group after the show and find all the show notes at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. another episode of Everyday Creative People. I'm here with Alexandra Zygmunt today. Um, Alexandra is an award-winning art director and visual thinker working at the intersection of fine art, illustration, and editorial design. She uh, spent seven years working as the, an art director for the New York Times opinion section, which was pretty cool, and I think we'll get to talk a bunch about that in the interview. Um, and if I understand it correctly, and actually I didn't clarify this with you beforehand, Alexandra, but uh, <laughs> she left her job at the New York Times uh, sometime last year and has been pursuing a variety of interests, it sounds like, in artistic pursuit, teaching and, and doing workshops, um, and I think doing some of your own sort of creative um, work as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So we'll get to talk about all of that in a few moments. Alexandra, is there anything, first of all, welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much. Is there anything that uh, I missed with your introduction that you feel like is really critical for people to know about who you are? Um, no, I, you know, I guess that covers what I've been doing recently. Um, I still sort of can't believe that I spent so long working at the New York Times, <laughs> a whole seven years. Um, you know, and before that, I was a graphic designer, and um, I had experience curating, and I've worked at a bunch of arts organizations. Mm. Um, I'm from San Francisco originally, so I actually sort of grew up within the arts community in San Francisco. And then when I was around 25, 26, I decided to move to New York to, to study graphic design and kind of just to get more creative inspiration and to meet new people. And I ended up staying in New York for 10 years, which I think is common. You kind of yep. just get really <laughs> stuck there in a good way. Um, you know, but then what happened recently is after seven years of working at the Times, I you know, I, I guess I had a bit of burnout. Um, we can definitely talk about how that happened. Um, and I just also really wanted the experience of living abroad. Um, mm. And my parents are both European. My mom is Greek and my dad is Hungarian. And I had never had the experience of spending a longer time in Europe. And so I, I kind of had reached this point where I knew that if I stayed at the times in the job that I had, I would, I, I ran the risk of staying there for the rest of my entire career. Mm. Um, Cause it's definitely the kind of place where people spend their whole careers and it's an excellent place to spend a career. Um, but I had also never thought of myself that way. You know, I never, yeah. I never was the kind of person that wanted to be in one place for a very long period of time. And so I reached this point last year where I felt like if I didn't leave right then, I would just keep on, 
I would keep on going in the same direction and I might never do the other things that I wanted to do. Mm. Was there something specific that happened that kind of tipped you over into the point of saying like, you know what, it's time for me to go? Yeah, I think, you know, partially it was burnout from uh, the Trump election. Mm. I think that it was a really difficult time working at the Times um, in the lead up to Trump being elected and then in the follow up to that election. I think we were all completely overworked and traumatized and, and so shocked by what had happened, but also, yeah, it just created so much more work. For mm. me, my job at the Times was commissioning illustration. I, I was a designer and the art director for the Sunday Review section. So that was the kind of the section of commentary that comes out every Sunday. And in each section, each weekend, it would feature probably around seven articles about Trump. And wow. so, you know, I was having, my job is to read all the articles, to put the entire section together, to, to do the graphic design, to commission all of the illustration. So all of the illustrations in that section are original and are done like within a four month, a four week, sorry, mm. sorry, four day time period. <laughs> it's really quick. Um, yeah. And, and so that meant that I was commissioning around seven illustrations about Trump each week. And it just became, yeah, it was a lot. It became um, just overwhelming and exhausting. So I think that that yeah. definitely fed into that decision. Mm -hmm. um, and I also reached a point with the work where I felt like I had reached a level of mastery. Um, I felt <laughs> like I still could have really grown a lot if I had maybe moved into a different position there. Okay. But with the job that I had after seven years, I felt like I had really um, explored it to the depth that I wanted. And I, I guess I kind of view seven years as a bit of a mythological or, you know, a complete circle where I view it as a symbolic number. And, I, and once I reached that seven year mark, I felt that I was ready to move on. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean when you say you view it as a symbolic number? <laughs> well, well, I think, you know, there's that myth that our skin rejuvenates every seven years ah, and yeah. our cells become, you know, they completely change and we become sort of a different person. Um, so I guess I view it as a cyclical number that every yeah. seven years, perhaps you're ready for a total transformation. Hmm. That's an, a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's true, but I felt that. And, yeah. and in feeling that, I've talked to other friends of mine and other people working in, the create, in creative fields. And definitely other people have had that same experience hmm. of feeling yeah. ready for a transformation at the around like seven, six to seven year point. Yeah. That's very interesting. You know, I have definitely had my sort of transition points at various times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and my, on the surface level, I feel like my transitions were a shorter cycle than that, but mm -hmm. looking back on it, uh, I'm realizing that actually, depending on how you frame, like how you sort of bookend the cycle. Yeah. Uh, Looking back on it, I actually think that I, I could frame my my <laughs> awesome. around a seven-year period. <laughs> yeah, like maybe that's the wider one, you know? Maybe <laughs> there are littler transitions that happen yeah. than that. 
Yeah. Uh, who knows? But yeah, it's fun <laughs> to think about. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. So let's step back in time a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So what was your, like when you were a kid, mm-hmm. who do you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I really wanted to be an uh, underwater archaeologist. Actually, (laughs) yeah, I I definitely wanted to be that. I was really always interested in mythology. Um, I Mm. think because my mom is Greek, I had this interest Mm. in in myth and in old architecture and and old archaeological sites. Um, So I had always kind of had an interest in that. Um, I grew up as a dancer actually both modern and classical. So I spent a lot of my childhood dancing Mm -hmm. and I never really wanted to be a a dancer. Actually, I loved performing, but I never thought about it as a career path. It was more something that I really enjoyed. So, you know, I never really had an extremely clear view of what, what I wanted to do. I just had a really broad range of artistic interests that kind of circled around drawing, archaeology, psychology, um, and philosophy, because I also read a lot of philosophy books as a kid. Hmm. Um, so you read a yeah, lot of I, philosophy books but, as a kid. Yeah, or as like what an kind adolescent. Of philosophy books were you reading as a child? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, more like 9, 10, 11, 12, and, and up into adolescence. But I, I don't know, just f- philosophical novels, even, hmm. even sort of authors like Milan Kundera, who is a novelist, but has a philosophical slant yeah. to his writing, yeah. or Italo Calvino, or, or writers like that, that, you know, I love novels that are philosophical. So mm. that still, to this day, is one of my favorite genres to read. But I never, I certainly never thought that I would be an art director. Um, so that wasn't <laughs> something that when I was a kid, I was, I was aiming for. Um, but What's amazing is that it ended up really fitting a lot of my interests. Um, Hmm. So I felt really lucky with that. Uh, How did you find art direction? That is a great question. So I, when I moved to New York, I studied at Parsons at the New School for Graphic Design. And I made a lot of friends with professors there. And so I started doing graphic design for a couple of book design firms. And I guess I just, you know, it was during that time that I started, I started reading the New York Times a lot. Um, I had already read it in San Francisco um, after college, but I started reading it a lot in New York. Um, And I noticed as I was reading it that a lot of the illustrations that I saw in the Times and especially in the opinion section uh, had visual metaphor in them. So this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, my undergrad degree in college was on visual metaphor. So I already, when I was 20... Your entire degree was on visual metaphor. Well, it was a degree, (laughs) it was a degree in philosophy and the visual arts. Interesting. So yeah, so that was like the the overall term. Um, But then my honors thesis uh, was on visual metaphor. So mm-hmm. I already had this interest in in images and symbols and icons and how um, artists create metaphor through imagery. Mm-hmm. 
And I started to, you know, as I was looking at the New York Times, I would see these illustrations on the opinion pages that would accompany articles. And those artists were using the same kind of visual techniques to create a conceptual image that a lot of the artists I had studied had been using. These were surrealist artists. Okay. Um, and so what's amazing is that I already kind of had had seen these illustrations in the times and been really captivated by them and really curious about them. Hmm. And, and I was like, I wonder who does that. You know, I had no <laughs> idea who, how those illustrate illustrations ended up in the times, like who was in charge of them? Who were these artists? You know, how did the whole thing come together? And then totally by chance, a colleague of mine from school after school ended up working at the times um, hmm. and maybe around a year in, he ended up recommending me for a job in that department. And so what's crazy is that I ended up doing that job, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> kind curating. of by chance. It sounds yeah, like. <laughs> totally, like really totally by chance. And, and, you know, of course it wasn't only by chance because this, sure. this friend of mine, who, you know, ended up working at the Times and ended up recommending me. He knew what my interests were, right. you know. He had gone to school with me, and during school I had been really vocal about my interests and about, you know, my interest in visual metaphor and, and, and all the things that I had studied. And so he, he knew that I had this interest. So I think it really helped that I was, I was vocal about those interests, mm. and that helped him match me to the job, you know. Um, but it certainly felt really magical when it happened. Um, <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> yeah, it was really surreal, really surreal. And so, you know, that's what I spent the past seven years doing is commissioning the artwork for articles in the Times. Hmm. And did you go, when you started working at the Times, were you immediately coming in as an art director or did you come in at a different position and sort of work your way up? Yeah, I came in as an assistant art director. Okay. Um, and then throughout those seven years, I worked my way up to be the lead art director. Mm. So how many yeah. different art directors are working are there? people at the opinion section? There, by the end, let's see, when I started, there were just two of us um, that were doing two pages per day and then three pages on the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and then that by the end, there were three of us okay. um, doing way more, actually. And so the section I was doing each weekend was like a 12 to 14 page wow. section. Yeah. So the work kind of expanded exponentially. Yeah. Um, and of course, you get faster at it. But I definitely felt by the end that it was a bit of a, a burden. Hmm. I don't have a child, but it sort of felt in the end, like, ha like I had a child, like I had to care for it at all moments. <laughs> like I was the only one really in charge of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were so many people that were working on it, editors, illustrators, sure. but at the end of the day, it, it kind of felt like I had a, I did have a lot of control over it. So it did feel like I constantly had to tend to it, you know, at all hours yeah. of the day and night. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And so, so you did that for seven years. Um, and now you are not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As you described earlier, you were sort of feeling some burnout, feeling like it was time to move on 
to, to do some of these other things that you were interested in doing. Yeah. So can you tell me what does your life look like now? Now, um, it looks very different and it was a very difficult decision to make. Um, that decision of leaving the times took me around a year to make, I would say. Okay. I think, I think it was in my mind for two years and then it took me mm. around a year to really come around to it. That often seems to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I'm actually living in Europe. Um, I'm currently in Madrid and I'm teaching a semester here at a design school. Mm. Um, I'm teaching illustration and art direction. Um, but then I'm also here and there traveling around to other cities in Europe to give talks and workshops. So, so far this year, I've been teaching in Madrid and then also in Milan. And then soon I'm going to be going to Rome and to London and then to various cities in Germany and to Barcelona um, and hopefully other places too. But that's what I've scheduled so far. So, so basically I, you're living the dream. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to give myself a year <laughs> to, to travel as much as possible. And yeah. that was kind of why I quit to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and because my job involved, um, it involved kind of networking with so many people yeah. because I was, I was hiring illustrators from all over the world. And so kind of, you know, what I wanted to do in this year off um, was to meet a bunch of those illustrators that I had mm. worked with for seven years virtually, but you know, so many of them yeah. I had never met in person. And for me, meeting people in person is one of the most uh, meaningful things sure. to do. So I just, I, I felt like it was maybe the best way to complete this cycle, you know? Hmm. Um, I'm a little bit, I think that this year I'm sort of coasting off of, off of the job. You know, I still, in some ways, I still sort of feel like I, I haven't totally left it since I'm teaching workshops and giving talks that are related to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that next year I might have a little bit of a shock, but who knows, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out when you get there, I'm sure. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I hope so. Yeah. Mm. You know, because I also want to have time. I'm also an artist and, you know, being an art director and putting so much time into being kind of a, um, giving advice to other people, to giving mm -hmm. advice to artists is essentially what an art director does, mm. um, you know, in addition to design and all these other things. But so much of my creative energy was going towards the work of other people. Yeah, and I really didn't have any energy left to make work. And I have, you know, a lot of ideas and a lot of dreams of creative projects that have been in my mind for years, you know, even since college. And I was really hard on myself when I was working at the Times about not making those things happen. Mm -hmm. um, but now that I'm not, you know, now that I have some perspective, um, I realize that I was being way too hard on myself because, you know, oftentimes when you're working these intensive full-time, like semi-corporate jobs, you really don't have much energy left at the end of the day yeah. or any, ener any creative energy. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to be easy on myself now and not try 
to force myself to be creative too fast. Um, okay. But kind of the goal in quitting the times is to start giving myself way more creative time to do some of my own projects. Hmm. Um, and that hasn't really started yet. It started here and there, but I have so far mostly been focusing on teaching. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll see as the time progresses. I hope to have more time to yeah. draw and, and paint and all the other things I want to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <What> <laughs> What are some of these creative projects that you're envisioning right now? Um, well, I guess the one that I am the most passionate about is I really want to make and draw a book. Mm. Um, so I have this book in my head. Um, it's kind of a heady concept. It's, it's sort of based on the thesis that I wrote in college on metaphor. Okay. So it uh, the book would be an exploration of metaphor, but in particular metaphors of psychology. Hmm. So I'm really interested in in kind of the language and the images we use to describe and understand human psychology, um, how the mind works, what thoughts look like in the brain, how they feel. I've always really been interested in cognitive psychology and philosophy so this mm -hmm. is sort of a combination of the two of those things so i'm sort of imagining it would be a book that combines like thoughts writing drawings other people's drawings um you know but again i haven't really sat down and really started to flesh out what it would look like at this point it's still more of a abstract concept and sure. desire yeah hmm. what what helps you to get into that creative space? Um, you know, I think writing really helps me. Um, hmm. I briefly, are you familiar with the artist's way? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I was briefly doing this, um, doing the writing in the morning. Mm -hmm. especially right after I quit the times, I found that to be so helpful um, because I was sort of, you know, I think I was a bit panicked about mm. the decision I had just made and what the repercussions were going to be. And I think that writing every morning for around like 45 minutes to an hour was so helpful. Um, mm. And it, it also just really gets all of my thoughts moving and it also gets all of my worries down on paper. And I found, I found when I was writing or when I write, drawing comes much easier to me. Um, Interesting. Maybe, maybe because it gets your hand moving already. It gets your, you know, both your brain and your hand moving. Hmm. So writing has always been key for me, for creativity. And actually so has reading. And that's why, you know, I mentioned loving philosophical novels and and loving novels in general, I think, you know, the combination of reading philosophy and psychology and writing um, are really like my building blocks for creativity. Hmm. Um, and I also keep a journal. There's a really amazing five-year diary okay. um, by this artist, Tamara Shopston, who also did illustrations for the Times. But you can get it, I think, at the MoMA store, but she designed this amazing diary where each day you write an entry 
And then the next year you write an entry that's on that same page, but right underneath your entry from the year before. Yeah. So you end up being able to see these amazing patterns emerge, mm. like of what you do on each day over a five year period. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So that How has been doing that. I've done that. It's kind of amazing. I've been doing that for around eight years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it's an amazing document and it diaries always seemed to me to be really um, just impossible to keep. Yeah. But this one is super manageable um, just because you don't have to write that much. It's only eight lines. Okay. So, so that has been, that also for me kind of spurs creativity. Hmm. Um, another form to of see, writing, I guess. To see what you have been doing on that day for so many years in a row or exactly yeah and to keep a record and yeah just to to kind of see your life um written out like that mm. to see mm. the pattern yeah is there any are there any specific insights that you feel like you've gained by doing that yeah uh well one yeah. weird thing is that sometimes i've noticed that on the same day i will end up at the same restaurant or bar or with the same person or having like the same conversation <laughs> and I'll only see it afterwards um so that has that yeah that has happened a couple times oh, and then the other thing is that there are certain weeks where like three years in a row really transformational or intense things happen like there was one week hmm. it's a week in September I think where yeah there were three years in a row where you know my boyfriend at the time had to leave the United States and then the next year he got a visa or, you know, I don't know if that it was exactly those, but like big life changing things happened um, on that in that week. Yeah. So things like that, you know, that hmm. are maybe purely coincidental, but just also interesting to, to notice. If you could look back over your career at this point, is there anything that you feel like, you wish you had known 15 years that ago. I know now or that I don't know now that, <laughs> uh, maybe both I guess I think that it has been kind of a journey for me to gain the confidence to even reach this point I'm at now um, I think that it hmm. it has taken me having that career at the times to have the confidence to even believe in myself as an artist at all, to be totally honest. You know, I, I think that mm. what's so hard about being an artist is that you're forging your own sometimes totally eccentric way in the world. And there's no, no one and nothing yeah. that's going to tell you that, it, that it's meaningful and, and that, it, that it has value. You know, that's the whole problem, or not problem, but challenge of being an artist is that there's so many careers out there and there's so many, we are all looking for validation in a way and we are all looking for um, to do something meaningful. And there are certain careers that I think um, make, uh, make you feel like what you're doing is meaningful. And I think that, you know, working at the times really helped me because it felt meaningful. It felt like I was doing something that had an impact. And mm -hmm. I think that just by doing that, I now have gotten more confidence to 
break out and do something totally eccentric. <laughs> because, you know, uh, and maybe yeah. I have a little bit more confidence in not being as worried to be an artist. Um, and so I guess, you know, I guess I wish that there was an easier way to go about that, to gain that confidence, because still I really find it challenging. <laughs> and still I, you know, even after seven years of art direction, I still had so many moments of total lack of confidence, not, not believing that I had, mm. that my opinion was correct or that my opinion had value. Um, yeah, I wish that there was a, an easy way to get that kind of confidence or validation. And there isn't. Yeah. How do you give yourself that boost of confidence or, or, or what do you do when you're feeling a lapse well, of confidence? You know, I think friends have played a really important role. Travel plays a really important role for me. Um, just in terms of exploring totally different realities and getting out of your comfort zone, meeting new people. I don't know, just getting out of a rut. Oftentimes I just felt like, you know, I would, the lack of confidence, those, those moments are just sort of a rut that you have to kind of shock yourself out of um, by doing something different, by traveling, by having a wine with a friend. I don't know, <laughs> just changing perspective. And I guess I've just gotten better at it getting I've gotten better at changing perspective over time just by doing little tricks like that distracting myself yeah hmm. that's so interesting uh just as a coach the the, the first thing that popped into my brain when you mm -hmm. said changing perspective in some small way there's a very common coaching exercise where if you're trying to sort of work through something work through a problem understand something better you actually get up and physically move yourself to a different part of the room or just change the, oh, really? the position in the chair. Yeah. Right? And then you ask yourself, okay, what do I see differently from this position, from this perspective, which is, seems so yeah. silly. Um, <laughs> but actually, it can <laughs> no, be yeah, an incredible I, I like, shift for you. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I, I can imagine doing... Uh, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that, that doing these bigger things of just getting out of your routine, going to a new place, mm -hmm. getting out of your comfort zone, uh, that, that serves yeah. that purpose. Exercise too, for me, is a big one. I think because I grew up as a dancer, um, I need that physical activity and I start feeling really anxious without it. Um, and so oftentimes when I reach a block or when I feel you know, negative feelings will just mm, go on a run yeah. or something. That's a very popular uh, technique. <laughs> yes, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, there's something about moving your body that moves your brain also. It's, oh, yeah. It takes Definitely. you out of your brain a little bit. I think a lot of the times when mm -hmm. we're blocked, it's because we're stuck in our heads and we need to yeah. get out of our heads. Yeah. Not yeah. physically moving. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you feel like was a really critical part of your journey? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of in a sort of nomadic experimental phase now and not exactly sure what's going to happen. And, you know, not exactly sure what's going to happen next year in terms of money. And, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about going back to New York because so much of my career was mm. New York based and, 
now that I don't have that, you know, this anchor, which in some way was negative, but in so many ways was positive. Now that I don't have that, I'm sort of curious and a little bit apprehensive about how I'll feel Mm. in New York, whether I'll feel rootless, you know, because I've been traveling so much. I don't think that I've truly, I don't think I can truly know how I'll feel when I'm there, but I don't regret the decision. And I, um, I think it's been really positive for me. And I don't know, I would recommend, I always recommend traveling but traveling, I, I like traveling with a purpose. It's been it's been good to teach workshops yeah. and to meet. What kinds people of workshops are you teaching? I'm teaching a couple. They are mostly on art direction and on editorial illustration. So they're mm-hmm. directly linked to the work I was doing at the Times. So I basically give real life assignments, mm-hmm. like design a cover for the Sunday Review, or you know, design an illustration for the opinion section. Yeah for an article on anxiety, you know, things like that, that are, that are real life assignments of being hmm. um, so, an illustrator. So the, people the, that are, the people that are attending these workshops are primarily illustrators. They, yeah, they're usually illustrators or graphic designers or animators, but in the creative field and mm-hmm. usually undergrads. Yeah. Usually around like 20. Yeah. Which is fun. It's a fun fun age definitely totally different it's it's both like totally different than art directing Hmm. and very very similar at the same time there's just like (laughs) suddenly 20 more people to give feedback to (laughs) um you know when i was an art director so much of it was i would be working with 10 illustrators Mm -hmm. at a time during a week and so i would be giving feedback to 10 different people and then all of a sudden with teaching you're Mm. giving feedback to like 20 different people at the same time i'm like Mm. god this is really teaching is very difficult um and very specialized i find like you really teaching is such a specific skill but i'm Mm. trying to get better at it is are there like specific pieces of feedback that you find yourself giving over and over again Hmm, that's a good question um well, one thing that I observe a lot in illustrators' work is that oftentimes a sketch will be better than the final. And that can kind of be taken metaphorically larger in life, I think, that a lot of times, especially with illustrators that are just starting out, their sketches for an idea are stronger than a final because they're looser. And that like when you end up going to final with a drawing, you end up becoming like a little bit tighter and it loses Hmm. some of that initial energy. Um, So a lot of times I've actually told illustrators to go back to the initial sketch um, and maybe like scan the original drawing and then go from there because sometimes, yeah, sometimes the final just ends up being, yeah, it lacks Hmm. the Hmm. dynamism and energy that the sketch has. So that's one thing that I've said a lot. And then how many iterations of, of uh, a sketch do people typically go through before reaching the final version? Well, to be totally honest, I was sort of, um, I'm a little bit of a difficult art director. <laughs> so I, I was known for being a difficult art director and I really felt bad about that for a while. But in the end, I think that the results were good, you yeah. know, that I, my whole 
philosophy was just to try to get the best work possible from people. So, you know, sometimes we would go through four to five revisions. Okay. Or even more. I mean, I have definitely had email chains with illustrators that were like a hundred emails long. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a cover there was, I remember there was one cover where we went through a hundred emails cause it was really intensive. It involved typography. It involved, um, hmm. it was just a, it was a complicated cover and the result was amazing. Um, and we were both really excited about it, but yeah, the, definitely the, the communication is lengthy. Um, yeah. So, and it, and it is so interesting to me. It's such an invisible thing. You know, you see, you'll see that cover of the Sunday review and have no idea how that image got there. Just as I, just as I felt like before I started doing that job, it's such an, it's an invisible thing and people have no idea how much energy goes into it Mm -hmm. um, on the illustrator side, on the editor side, on the art director side. Um, It's just this like immense labor of love and it takes, it takes so much energy and, and so much communication and so much diplomacy too, actually. Um, mm-hmm. That was another thing I found really um, difficult about the job was how many different people's opinions you're juggling. Mm. And, and when you're doing that, it's really sometimes hard to maintain belief in your own opinion. And you know, I felt that as a, as a young woman at the times, it certainly wasn't only because I was a young woman, but I definitely felt that, you know, it was hard sometimes to, to be up against a lot of conflicting opinions, you know, Mm -hmm. editors that were above me that had a different opinion than me. And for me to, to argue that my, that my opinion had validity. Um, And yeah, it's a, that's a difficult thing. And, and that, that diplomacy really, it was a good lesson, but it definitely exhausted me over time. Yeah. Conf, you know, conflict, mm. dealing with conflict all the time. How did you like, when you, so when you first started working there, did you find yourself backing down a lot in the face of other people's opinions? Yeah, maybe, maybe more often and, and maybe not, maybe not as much backing down. Maybe it's just that I didn't even have a choice. Mm. Um, it, it also was the editors at the times have changed. They, they changed over the time I was there. And when I first arrived, you know, not only did I not really have the experience and authority to argue back, mm-hmm. um, but I also was working with an editor who, who really just had the final say, like she knew what she wanted and and I kind of just didn't have a choice because she had the final say. Because um, in the end, the editors actually, you know, they can decide whether an article and, a, and an illustration will run or not. An art director mm-hmm. um, ideally has a very large say as well and can argue. Um, but oftentimes it is the editor that will decide whether something is appropriate to run or not. Um, so in the beginning, I felt like, because I didn't have the authority or the experience to back up my opinions, I, I didn't fight as much. Um, and then over time, you know, I just, I developed kind of a personal aesthetic and a personal philosophy and I was more willing to, hmm. to, to back it up. Yeah. And I, and I felt that it was important for me to back it up too. Yeah. Was there ever anything that you worked on 
that ended up getting cut that was that just felt really crushing yeah there were there were <laughs> something there well it was actually it was more it was less things that were cut it was more what happened was um things that never got to happen at all hmm. like um like illustrations that I thought would be really great for a cover that I never got to commission because somebody wanted to go in a total in in a different direction mm. like with photography for example okay um so yeah I guess I had more regrets of of things that I never got to do yeah I wanted to do hmm. yeah the challenges of working in a uh yeah <laughs> working with lots of people yeah, working yeah. with lots of people and working in an environment where you're sort of, um, it's the distinction between doing work that is for a, a larger, very specific purpose and, and mm -hmm. doing work that is for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, needing to make those uh, allowances and let things go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And need, needing to make really fast decisions. Um, mm. And that has helped me a lot, actually, with my own creative work is constantly having to make these snap decisions because these sections were being designed and art directed, you know, in, in a four day period. So you really just, you didn't have the luxury of, of making, of not making an immediate decision. You had to just go with your intuition and your gut and, um, I don't know. It taught me a lesson. I, I think that it's shown me that, well, first of all, the importance of deadlines and getting anything done. <laughs> I need deadlines to get stuff done. So <laughs> in some ways, working in a, in a newspaper environment was really perfect for me because it, it uh, prevents you from, from procrastinating, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of use the same tactics, tactics now with my own creative work. Like, Hmm. somehow trying to set a deadline for yourself by by making a commitment whether it's like you know giving a talk or giving a workshop or you know just setting some external deadline and then you're kind of just forced to do it and that's what it felt like doing the times each week like you were you know you couldn't not do it so there hmm. was no procrastinating and you had to make really instinctive decisions Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alexandra. It's been a great chatting with you. Yeah, Are there any, so um, well, I have two sort of final things. One is where can we find you on the internet if we want to follow you in your work? And two is if there's any last things that you want to say before we wrap up. Yeah. So actually one thing that I've been doing over the past two months is I'm finally getting my portfolio website up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm very excited about that. So that will be up um, in around like two to three weeks. Okay. I'm working on it with a company called Wix. And um, so yeah, that will be alexandrazigman.com. It's not up yet, but it will be. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then I'm on Instagram at Zygmunda. Um, so it's my last name and first initial. Awesome. And those will be yeah. written in the show notes so people can find the actual spellings and links as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Cool. Well, thank cool. you so much, Alexandra. Yeah, thank you. The rest of your time in gallivanting you. around Europe. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Everyday Creative People. 
If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook at Dina Adrian's Coaching and join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. See you again next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel.